Hello and welcome back to Scripture in Black and White Season 2. I'm Anthony Walker here with Bobby Harrington. Uh, and we are discussing this season, uh, the family and all the issues that comes with family, the blessings that come with family, marriage, uh, kids, parenting and the like. Uh, on last episode, we dealt with uh, the reasons for marriage and how God uh, designed marriage. Uh, and in this episode, uh, we want to deal with uh, the tensions between men and women in marriage. Uh, men and women are made uniquely, and so they have their own unique challenges, uh, their own strengths and weaknesses, and those strengths and weaknesses bring their own tensions to the table. Yes, sir. Yeah, so help us help us with that, Bobby. <laughs> Anthony, good to be with you. Yes. We're going to go back to Scripture, uh, and so we're going to go to Genesis chapter 3, and we'd like to find there, or we'd like to see there, how God described the tensions between uh, husbands and wife in marriage early on. And uh, one of the things I have found in understanding this text, it to be super helpful so uh, women are going to tend to have a certain struggle in marriage, and men are going to have a certain struggle. Uh, for them, it's going to show up one of two ways. And so let's dive into the text and see what it says. I want to go ahead and start, though, at the first part of Genesis chapter 3. Last uh, session of Scripture in Black and White, we talked about the basis of marriage and we ended with Genesis chapter 2, where Adam and Eve uh, were uh, naked and they felt no shame that God had brought them together as husband and wife. So Genesis chapter 3 starts off with a description of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So a little bit of background about that. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil uh, gives the people... Uh, in this case, Adam and Eve, anyone who ingests of it, the independent, autonomous capability of good or evil apart from God. Uh, I want to say that again. What it is is that it gives to men and women the ability to decide for themselves uh, good and evil, and it's too much for human beings. Like, what we're going to see is we get a sin nature because our ancestors ingested of the knowledge of good and evil, and that sin nature, it's too much for us. We can't handle it. Uh, we gravitate to sin, and our sin nature gets a hold of us, and God didn't want that for us. So the, the, the story starts in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. So Satan is going to... Uh, personify and be incarnate in the snake. So this is the devil, the enemy of God, enemy of human beings, uh, and he is able to become incarnated in a snake. And uh, he comes to the woman, and this is going to be noteworthy in later biblical teaching. He comes to the woman. Uh, by the way, God had given the instructions to Adam not to eat of the tree, and the presupposition to the Hebrew mind is when God told Adam, as the head of the family, uh, he was to make sure that Eve knew it. Yeah. Okay? 
but the serpent uh, doesn't come to him uh, as the head of the family unit. He comes to the woman. So the serpent said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Uh, so he twisted a little bit, right? Did he really say that? <laughs> yeah, he goes, hey, you can't eat from any tree. God's too restrictive. No, no. He, the woman says, well, the woman said to the servant, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will surely die. So that's the tree that gives those who eat it uh, the knowledge of good and evil, which is not good for human beings. Then the serpent says, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. So God, what God said is not right. Mm. He, took, he took God's word and tied a knot in it. <laughs> That's right. Then he says, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So um, he's saying God's trying to hold you back. You can be your own God, knowing good and evil. Well, verse 6 says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and here's the key line, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, you can be your own God, live life your own way. She took some and ate it. And then the text says this, Anthony. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. So there's Adam passively just with her. And she leads. She leads into sin, and he's just passively with her, and he eats it too. Verse 7, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. In other words, they realized that they had shame. They'd done wrong. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. They, the game start. The hiding starts. Uh, and so... Uh, let me, I'll just finish up and then jump in. So, so God comes looking for them and they're hiding. And, uh, uh, Adam says, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. Who told you you were naked? God said, God knows, but he wants Adam to confess. And Adam, uh, verse 12, uh, the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. So the man advocates responsibility. God had told him, you know, don't do this. And uh, the woman does it. He's there passively. And then he blames the woman. Bad move. Uh, then God talks to the woman. Uh, the woman said, the spirit deceived me and I ate. Uh, so then God brings curses. So he's going to curse uh, the serpent, which represents uh, Satan and the demons. And uh, there's going to be a, a conflict between the, ser the serpent representing Satan and the demons throughout history, and then he says to the woman in verse 16 something that's really super important. In fact, I'll come back to the woman. I just want to talk about the man. So the man uh, throughout history, when physical strength was the most important asset in terms of uh, conquering the world, multiplying families, and populating the world, physical strength was a big deal. So the curse to Adam is, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the fruit of the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat uh, food from it all the days of your lives, and it'll produce thorns and thistles, 
and you will eat the plants from the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. So he says to, to the man, in your primary areas throughout history, again, especially where physical strength was a really super important thing, uh, the man physically with more testosterone, muscle, muscle mass, strength, women typically uh, bearing children, nur- nursing children, taking care of the home front, which throughout history was often like a, a home-based business where husbands and wives worked together. She would focus on the children and the home, and he would focus on conquering the world. And as he does that, he's going to have a hard time. It's going to get real hard. Yeah. Now let's go back to verse 16, because what I find is verse 16 for me personally has been one of the most helpful verses in the entire Bible on the tension between men and women. So here's what he says. Uh, To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to children. So he says, in your primary roles in history for women, Throughout history, they have been their relationship with their husband, which I'll get to, and bearing children. That uh, childbirth is going to be a, a very difficult thing. Very painful. Very painful. And uh, as we know, many children and, and mothers in history died in childbearing. Then he says this, and this is the crucial tension. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. So let me stop there and uh, let you jump in. And then I want to focus on the latter part of chapter 3, verse 16. Listen, listen, you all put a pen right here at the end of verse 16, because we are coming back to this to really dig into this. A couple of things I just wanted to to reiterate, Bobby, and and underline in the narrative. Um, number one, you point out that Adam has this responsibility for Eve. If you look back to chapter two and verse number 15, uh, you see this responsibility uh, on display. The Lord God took man, put him in the garden to work it and to care for it. So he already had uh, an assignment and a responsibility for everything that was in the garden. He had to tend to it. He had to observe it. And as a gardener myself, you have to go and look at this on a daily basis. You have to tend to it. Does it need water? Does it need fertilizer? Does it need pruning? Does it need, he's all of this. And with everything, he he was responsible. And then God creates Eve. And guess what? You're responsible for her. And so this leadership that he has and this responsibility that he has, hey, Adam, I've told you what to do. As Bobby points out, the expectation, now your family knows what you're supposed to do. Your wife knows, hey, here is the law of God. But in crunch time, when opposition comes, when the serpent comes, What is Adam doing? The most that we read that Adam does is he exists. (laughs) He's with her. Now you go from chapter two, I'm working, I'm tending, I'm observing, I'm caring, I'm moving, I'm active. But in crunch time, I'm existing. I'm just here. 
And this whole conversation goes on with the serpent and Eve and, and disobedience is on display before him. Let me say this, Bobby, you know, as, as men, we love to watch our sporting events. We love to watch, you know, football and all these things. If they miss a play, if they miss a call, if the refs make the wrong call, we jump up because we're so observant about this. Oh, look at this happened right in front of the ref. He didn't see that. And right here before Adam, <laughs> temptation, sin, evil is right there. And he does nothing. And Eve says, hey, let me have a bite. And she's moving out of these desires. The text says it was desirable for her. It was it was pleasing to the eye. It was desirable to make one wise here. Have some. And he eats it. And so from that point, you notice this major shift that takes place. I'll say this as well. The first question that was ever asked out of all of history. Adam says, oh, God says, Adam where are you? Ooh. The most, and, and I would say that's one of the most important questions that we have uh, in mankind. Adam, man, husband, where are you? <laughs> All of this is going on. Where are you? And then notice this next question. It, it's got some weight to it too, Bobby. This next question is asked because Adam responds back, well, I hear it. I was scared. I didn't know. I, I figured you were coming. Then the next question, he says, well, wait, who told you? What is God's expectation for us as children of God? I'm your God. You are my people. If I need anything, I got to come to God. If I need any knowledge, I come to God. If I need any information, if I need any provision, I come to God. And now we find a disconnect. Hey, you got something from somewhere that I didn't provide. Who told you that? Where did you get that knowledge from? And this is something that, again, there's another question that we have to ask. Right now, we're in a situation where the definition of a man is so murky and God is asking that same question. Who told you that? Yeah. Right. Who, who, who told you that this is what I've already given you this information. So that was just a couple of things that I wanted to, to look at. Let's talk about, uh, if we can, the fact that God made Adam first. Yes. So later on in scripture, and I'll give it a reference in first Timothy chapter two, uh, it's made explicit. In verse 13, you also see this referred to uh, indirectly in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, uh, where it talks about the law, uh, and it's talking about the creation account. And what you see is that when God made Adam first, uh, he made him as the head, uh, as the one, the buck stops with him yes. for the family. Uh, in the ancient world, the concept is called primogeniture, and that is that the firstborn has responsibility. So uh, one, one modern example of primogeniture that we see is that with the uh, king of England, right now Charles is king, and if Carl, Charles died, uh, William is going to become the next king, not Harry. Not because William is better than Harry, but William was the firstborn. So the concept of uh, God creating Adam, representing men, 
that the woman is the strong help to this head of the relationship. The word head is going to be used in the New Testament for, for the husband, that there's the headship. And then I love that, that language you're using. Uh, where are you? Where are you? Because in many families and in many situations, where are the men who are, who are functioning as the, the leader in the sense of being Christ-like leaders, the heads that God intended them? And of course, Adam is not doing that in the garden. You could argue that the first sin, uh, is that Adam let Eve, uh, go ahead without him showing leadership. Uh, he, she went into sin and he was there passively by. In fact, I, I just want to say this because we're going to come to it in just a second. The two primary sins, uh, that men commit in relationship with their wives are either passivity or over aggressive, uh, aggressive toxic masculinity. The real toxic masculinity. The real toxic. We're going to. We're going to talk. In fact, let me get to that, Anthony. Okay. Okay. Was there anything you wanted to add before I do that? No, you're good. You're good. Let's let's go in that direction. So so here's uh, what God says to Eve: Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. So both of these are negatives. All of the curses, when you look at them, uh, they're what we would call archetypes. Uh, in other words. They're painting a picture of the struggles. So sin uh, between Satan and the demons and uh, humankind, there's going to be the sin t- tension, and uh, a woman Eve is going to give birth to men, and one of those men, Jesus, is going to crush Satan. Right. So that's described. There's the difficulty for men in uh, thorns and thistles and tornadoes and cancer and you know it's, it's 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 again it's an archetype of all the dangers in the world we're outside of eden life is difficult we have to subdue nature but it's difficult to do that and then there is women uh with childbirth and then men and women together so this expression your desire will be for your husband it's an inappropriate desire uh it's used of in Genesis chapter 4, uh, where God says to uh, Cain uh, and Abel, uh, there, there's a tension. And uh, in Genesis 4, 4, it says, sin desires to have you. It's the same expression. Like sin is trying to take over you. It's trying to master you. Okay. And so what a, your desire will be for your husband's same language so women are going to tend to expect more of their husbands than their husbands are going to be able to deliver. Women are going to expect their husbands to be just like Jesus because God created that uh, in their souls of what a man is to be, but men aren't that. Men tend to gravitate to passivity, which makes women unhappy, or they tend to gravitate toward he will rule over you. The rule over you here is not a good thing. It's he's going to domineer over you. And so women are going to struggle desiring that their husbands be like Jesus, that they would be the 
knight in shining armor, that their husbands would love them the way Jesus loved the church. That's a natural desire, and they're going to be disappointed because typically the men are going to struggle with being passive or overly aggressive. Now, in many cases, the more we mature in our marriage, men are going to be like Jesus to their wives. But the wives in their maturing, it's going to be to expect less of their husbands, to realize their husband isn't Jesus. Their husband's going to fall short. You know, Anthony, one of the things that I've seen many times is that it becomes a dominant theme in a woman's life with her husband how she wrestles with disappointment. Uh, she's not as much because he's not enough. Oh, my goodness. And uh, a lot of women get stuck in a rut. A friend of mine calls it, the problem in, in my life is the man in my life. And uh, it comes from big disappointment. Yeah. And when I look out at many marriages and the conversation of the relationship of men and women today, if we're really candid, women are disappointed in men. A lot of women are disappointed in men. Yeah. And it's because it's this struggle where they need to come to see that Jesus takes the place of the ideal husband in their life. Their relationship with God has to become sufficient where they hope their husband will be sufficient, but they also must realize he's going to let them down. Bobby, let me let me ask you a question here, and, and this is just this is as we're digging into this text. Um, I, I'm looking at the failures of both of them as a part of the problems that we see now. And, yes. and here's what I'm looking at: yes. you know, his failure to stand up and take the lead in this situation yes. is now the problem that women have in their view towards man, like, ah, you, you're just the whole not enough. Like you're just not, you're not going to be, and he's, he's, tr but then on the other side, his uh, failure in leading, right. And moving and, 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 and protecting and guiding is where he is going to struggle with, man, I, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't do this. Yeah. So that's, that's where that comes out. And God says, now your punishment is reflective of your failure. Yeah. You're going to plant, you're going to sow, you're going to put all of this into it. You'll get back thorns and thistles. Yeah. Oh my. And she's going to expect perfection. Right. And he's going to, he's going to disappoint. And so uh, if I could just describe, so so for a lot of women, uh, their big struggle is codependency, okay. uh, where they're dependent on their husband for, you know, affirmation and worth. And, and uh, again, it's this underlying it, the more I've looked at it over the years, it's just this underlying desire that their husband would be like Jesus to them. And that that's not a bad thing. It's just that men are going to disappoint women, and they've got to learn how not to expect it, to hope for it, to look for it, to be grateful when it comes, but to rely on God because men are confused. Now, uh, when Satan came into the garden, the man was confused. He's there by her passively. It's like, like you said, he's not listening to God, and so he doesn't 
know what's going on. He's confused. And here's what confused men do. They're passive. Yes. They don't want to do the wrong thing. Uh, and so they're there and they're like, okay, I'll just, I'll, I'll wait for somebody to tell me what to do or I'll wait for somebody else to lead me. Gotcha. Now, that's a huge problem that's becoming, in, in my opinion, greatly enhanced today because of the other problem. So the other problem is in Genesis 3.16, he will rule over you. He will domineer you. He will be a toxic man. He's going to uh, not treat you right. And uh, the truth of the matter is so many women have experienced that. Uh, my, my dad was that in many ways when I was growing up. So, so sad, so tragic. I mean, my sisters had a bad attitude about men because of what they saw with my dad and my mom. Mm. Well, if you think of that today uh, and you, you look at how many women have been mistreated by men. And so there's this whole movement where women don't want to be dependent on men. They don't want to have those expectations of men. And so they're acting like they can lead and they can be heads and they can they can be everything that a man could be and in fact do it better. And uh, so men are looking at that dominant theme. Like if you think of movies right now, in a lot of the movies, if you go back 30 or 40 years ago, uh, you have this hero man in the movie. Uh, even 10 years ago, like the series uh, 24, you know, with Kiefer Sutherland, or uh, uh, we talked about this uh, on the Jason Woodlock show, the Tom, Tom Cruise in uh, uh, Top Gun. You know, he's the guy, he's the man, and he lays his life down and saves everybody, which is the archetype that we get from Christianity, but we don't want that now. And so in the movies, the women are the archetype heroes. They're beating all the, the villains you know, they're beating all the villains up and women are strong and, and women are leading. And uh, so much in, in political discourse is women leading. And a lot of that comes because of disappointment. It's kind of like the Me Too movement of all the women who were mistreated has led to the woman, women leading movement. So, and the two are directly related. We've gone from understanding that the expectation uh, is just too great. Like you, you aspire to Jesus like, so, so we have to get back to what God designed and what God intended for the husband and wife to mitigate these issues, yes, these that's tendencies. Right. That's right. So, so in men, for example, and, and maybe, Maybe you can talk about the other side of it, but in men, we have to go back to the responsibility that God gave us. Like, yes. And when I look at it and I know people will say, well, he was the only person on the planet. Okay. I got it. But Adam was responsible for the world. Like he, he was responsible for the condition of the world. Yes. And so as men, we have to take back that courageous charge of if anybody's going to change this world back, we've got to take the lead. Yeah. You know, we're going to, it, it's a daunting task now. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's a daunting task. It's, it's so huge of a task 
we need a God to help us with it. Like we, we, to lead us through this, we, we gotta do it. But then that takes us from that passive. Well, it is what it is. I guess we just kind of accept that's the way of the world. Like, no, we need a courageous. We're going to change it. Yeah. In Jesus name. Ooh, I like that. I like we're going to take the world. Okay. So, so for the woman, her, how would she get out of that? So I can tell you of the godly women that I know. Uh, and well, first of all, in first Peter chapter three, it talks about godly women and it talks about that they don't give way to fear. So for a lot of women at the heart of this thing with, with the disappointment with men or the expectations of men is fear. Mm. So uh, God says through Peter in first Peter three, that uh, to depend on God, don't give way to fear and set an example in your life. Um, in the book of Ephesians, I'd like to come back to that in just a second. She makes a decision that she's going to trust God and rely on God for her insecurities or her disappointments. Uh, and then she's going to respect her husband. She's going to interact as a strong help, as uh, one who's going to follow his leadership without expecting everything of him and being a strong, competent, trusting in God, living her life as God wants her to, hoping that her husband will be all that God wants him to be, helping her husband to be what God would want him to be, but not taking responsibility for her husband and not allowing herself to be so dependent on her husband that she's not dependent on God. She's dependent on God and seeks to relate to her husband the way the church relates to Christ uh, as, as leader. Wow. That, that helps us uh, to deal with those tendencies, those issues between men and women. And, 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 and a healthy function of that, which is what we're describing here, a healthy function is that man who has that fire lit within him to go conquer. And a healthy function for that woman, uh, that wife is to, uh, continue to, to expect, Hey, he's, he's going to do this. Yeah. I, I know he can. And, and as he comes up short, you know, there's the grace. There's the forgiveness. Uh, there's the trust in God. Yeah. But but both of them are leaning on God for his uh, deliverance, for his guidance, uh, and for his provision. Yeah, that's good. You know, uh, we'll talk at another time about uh, what does a Christ-like man do? So if if there's three options, basic options, one is the passive man, which is not a good place, but the toxic overly um, domineering man, uh, that's just as bad. And so what is the Christ-like man? And uh, we have used, you and I uh, have talked about a definition of that where we use the word real, R-E-A-L. So a Christ-like man uh, rejects passivity. Uh, he expects uh, to like God to be with him as he accepts responsibility 
and he leads courageously. Mm. And uh, we'll talk more about that. I do want to say this as as we close. Uh, a book has come out recently uh, by Nancy Piercy on toxic masculinity. Now, we have it set up on, on the podcast where we're going to interview Nancy Piercy about this book. But she talks about men, and here's what she has extensive research, is literally the state of the art on what do we know about men. And here's what she documents, is that devout Christian men are the best husbands and fathers. Uh, Of all the research, it's devout Christian men who are trying to, to pursue that definition I just gave. They reject passivity. They expect God's provision with them as they accept responsibility and lead courageously. And what she found is that passive men, of course, uh, cause a lot of damage. Mm-hmm. Uh, toxic men, by the way, do you know who the typical toxic man is? The typical toxic man is a cultural Christian. He doesn't really follow Jesus, uh, but he's heard about, he might go to church once or twice a year, and he uses the Bible teaching as a as a club uh, where he's not really loving and pursuing God and loving the way God wants him to. Instead, he's using it as a uh, as a like as an excuse to mistreat women. Oh my! Yeah. So we're going to come and see how the real the Christ-like man, statistically, provably, sociologically, uh, is the most bears the most fruit for women and children. So we'll come back to that when we interview Nancy Percy. God had a God had an idea about that. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> so listen, uh, hopefully you've gotten some uh, understanding and and as we examined the issues, uh, but we also gave some practical response to those issues through God's word that men uh, and women have. Listen, we want you to. Tune in on the next episode of Scripture in Black and White as we continue breaking down uh, the family and marriage and parenting in this season of Scripture in Black and White. Thank you for listening to Scripture in Black and White. Please comment, like, and subscribe. Coming up next, Toxic Masculinity, an interview with Nancy Piercy.